You're listening to the American Alpine Club podcast. Connor Herson is a young crusher, having freed the nose at the age of 15, climbed 50 514s by his 18th birthday, and recently sending one of the hardest gear routes in the world, Empath, 514D in Tahoe. The AAC is recognizing his overwhelming success so early in his climbing career with the Robert Hicks Bates Award, our annual award for up-and-coming young crushers who show exceptional promise for their future climbing endeavors. The award will be presented along with many other awards, including the inaugural Climb of the Year Award and the Changemaker Award at the AAC's annual benefit gala. This year held in New York, New York on March 10th through the 11th. You can grab your tickets to the biggest night in climbing in the show notes. In this episode, we sat down with Connor to talk about how he sets climbing goals, which of the 514s meant the most to him, what inspired him to try Empath on gear after sending it on bolts, and more. Welcome, Connor, to the podcast. Really excited to have you on and talk about all of your accomplishments. We're interviewing today because you won the Robert Hicks Bates Award, which is awarded to climbers earlier in in their climbing career who are showing lots of promise. And obviously, you have a lot of promise based on your resume, and I've already accomplished like a lifetime of climbing accomplishments. So I'm so excited to talk about some of those and then you know, kind of the behind the scenes stuff that happens as well as maybe what you're imagining comes next. Well, thanks for having me. It's like to be here. Yeah. It's definitely a little uh, overwhelming. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely can be. I guess I'd start with how do you feel about the Hicks Bates Award? Is it something that you were like aware of before? Is Does it mean a lot? So I actually like, I had heard of it before. I hadn't really thought of myself in context of that award. I hadn't really thought of it as something award that I could get. I just like kind of knew it was it, it was out there. It existed. It was it was there. And then like the the phone call that I got definitely kind of took me by surprise. And and it is really cool. But I mean, for me, the true value kind of comes from the actual climbing itself, where you know a lot of the uh, I guess a lot of the ascents that I think this award reflects kind of came like last year. So, but. Uh, on the other hand, it is really nice. I, I was honestly like very surprised and psyched. Yeah, yeah, you should be really proud. I mean, we're not going to be able to cover in depth uh, everything that you've accomplished so far, and I'm sure will accomplish in the future. But yeah, let's start with the climbing, and then we can come back to some of my other questions that we can are about where you are now in college and that sort of thing. So I guess let's just start with climbing El Cap at 15. What put that in your brain? And like, why was that a goal that you came up with? So it was kind of a longer process. So I first did the nose in a day with my dad when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And it was like a really fun day. It was, it was a blast. And it was, I mean, it was just crazy to be up there. And I remember there's this one 12D pitch. Uh, it's like the Camp 5 Glaberick spot stemming pitch that even though I was top roping in like super soft shoes and I had like a pack on and I was cleaning gear and everything, I still uh, like flashed on top rope, um, which I was a little bit surprised by. So then like kind of the next year I did another NIAD and like did that pitch again. And I was like, wow, this feels good. Like I really like the style of climbing and I, I kind of wanted to try something harder in the valley too. And 
uh, we just kind of ended up going up, hiking up and rappelling down uh, to changing corners to try it. And then the first day I got smacked down, but then we went back up and it was funny. We ran into Tommy Caldwell and Alex Honnold because uh, they were hiking down from their one of their training runs for the speed record. Um, and Tommy gave me like some key beta and then, you know, figured out the moves that day. And then that spring I ended up actually doing it clean on top rope. And that's like by far the crux pitch. So like once I had that on top rope, then like that climb was like, okay, this is a goal. That's awesome. So how long had you been climbing in Yosemite? Like since you were climbing from the very beginning sort of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've been climbing in Yosemite for a really long time because I mean, both my parents have been climbing in Yosemite for a long time. My sister has been. So I was just there from a really young age and maybe I wasn't climbing as much, but, uh, you know, I was just there and, you know, had that exposure and, you know, I was just kind of doing small routes for a while and then slowly ramped up as I got more psyched. Yeah. Okay. So let's also get into like your goal setting and what inspires you in general, because, you know, so the committee who awarded you this award are also super psyched about your recent gear ascent of empath, which is like the hardest trad line out there as, as far as we know. Right. And also you climbed 55 14s before you were 18. I just like, let's start with that one. Cause I think it's so fascinating when people just like quantify that at what point were you like, I'm going to hit 55 14s and, or did it just happen organically? It was kind of like, like a lot of goals like that. Like I actually had a really similar goal a few years back when I wanted to do 14, five 14s at age 14, you know, that one kind of has cool numbers, but it's, it's, it wasn't really like a strict goal. Like this is my only priority. It was kind of like a guideline where like, Oh, I want to start trying these more. And you know, maybe I can get to the spot where like for the 14, five 14s, it was, you know, I'd done like four or so, um, but I, but they felt good. And I knew there were a bunch really close to home at this crack jailhouse um, that I hadn't been to. So I was, you know, I knew I could do more. And I thought, I mean, that's a cool goal. That's a cool number. Like, I didn't really think it was feasible, but it was just kind of something like aspirational, something to work towards. And I think 50 was something quite similar where I, it was like right before my 17th birthday, I'd done like, I want to say like 30, 31. And at that point I was like, well, 20 in a year, like that would be doable. And I, I really did want to improve, I guess, my sport climbing as a whole, but I wanted to do that by kind of like building out my pyramid and building out my base of, you know, rather than just spending a bunch of time projecting, you know, a 14D or 15A, I wanted to you know, try to do as many like 14As, Bs, maybe even Cs, like as quick as possible. So you know, I thought like, well, 50, that's you know, a good number. And I mean, it's a little far off right now, but it's, again, it's a stretch goal. It's something that I can kind of work towards, even if it's not very realistic. And I didn't really think it was very realistic until I think like five months before I turned 18. So it was, it was like there, but not like at the forefront, I should guess. I should. Mm-hmm. In those last five months was a little bit of like a crunch time. You're like, I can see this around the corner. Like, I'm going to do this. Uh, it was, it was interesting. So like, I guess my birthday's in July. Okay. So maybe it was like six months. And, you know, as of December, I think I was at, I want to say like 36 or so. I had, I think I had 14 to go, but then there was like a one month period, uh, where I was just climbing at jailhouse a lot. And during that one month, I think I did seven. <laughs> um, so at that point I had like six months left, like seven, five, 14s left. 
And I was like, well, I mean, that's just a little over one a month. Like that's for sure doable. And from there, it just felt a lot more realistic. And then it was like, okay, like this is something that I'm actually going to try to do, not just like an aspirational goal. Yeah. I feel like for a lot of people, goals start can start out that way of like, oh, it's just a part of the process is building my yeah. pyramid. And then it becomes something you really want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, when it feels far off for me, like that's just, you know, a guideline of, you know, what I want to work towards and, you know, something, you know, where I want to focus my training, where I want to target those, that, you know, effort. And, you know, even if it's not something that's like, oh yes, I'm imminently going to do this. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's like a goal. Well, obviously it's a goal, but it's like, you know, it's that, it's kind of like that guideline that is a good direction, I should say. Yeah. So on the flip side, Empath was like supposed to be a much harder project accession, right? But then it went down really fast. Tell us about what you had intended with Empath and then what kind of what happened. So that was um, kind of when I was working. The 50 total 514s was around when Carla did Empath. And I thought it was really cool that there's a climb you know, so hard that I was so close to home. And I really hadn't spent a lot of time projecting a climb before. Like I hadn't, I really hadn't spent, you know, one of those multi-season projects, something that I like really, you know, worked towards. And I think for me, empath was that. I, that's what I thought it would be just to have something that hurt so close to home. And I'd, I'd done the 5514s. I filled out that pyramid. It was time to start trying something next level. So when I went out there and I was like feeling the moves and it was like really cool, but then I found some jams and I was like, wait, I can do this like now. <laughs> uh, and then I ended up doing it on my second weekend, which is, uh, I was pretty psyched about that because it was, it was cool to kind of challenge that kind of belief I had that it would take me so long and to just, yeah, do it, do something a lot quicker than I thought it would take me it was, that felt nice. But then when I was, when I did it, this was on, this was just doing it on bolts. I noticed like there were some cracks, like there could be some gear placements. Um, even I think the day before I said to on bolts, I brought a rack out there and was just like kind of playing around with the placements. And I was like, okay, these are actually all right. So then like when I did it on bolts, like that day, like the goal became doing it on gear. Uh, and that was kind of the next logical step in that progression for me. Was that... Is that just because you like want to do the next harder thing? Or is there something about trad climbing or climbing on gear that you prefer? I would say a bit of both. Like when I did really want that project, but also that aside, like it was a really fun climb. I wanted to do it again. <laughs> and I feel like my single pitch, like gear climbing, is just, it's, this whole other skill that I feel like I'm not very good at, like even just, you know, trusting gear to take falls. I know it sounds so trivial, but you know, something that I, you know, I struggle with and like just committing to trying really, really hard over, you know, this piece of protection that I placed myself was still pretty unfamiliar. So that felt like a way to kind of tackle that. Yeah, definitely. That's really cool that there was like kind of more of a mental goal behind the actual physical goal as well. Yeah, and actually, so this year when I came back to start trying it, on my first day, I actually did it on top rope, but like while mock leading and placing all the pieces and clipping it. 
Um, and then it took me another, I think, four sessions to actually do it on gear because it was that head game. Yeah, I wanted to ask like kind of what the difference is between your ascent on bolts versus on gear. And is it just like the head game element? Is there, I mean, also kind of maybe the add-in endurance of having to place gear? What else is going on? And like, what's the difference there? Uh, yeah, so in terms of like difficulty, you're asking? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say there, I mean, that yes, it is a lot, you know, mentally harder. Uh, kind of the ways I've already described where, you know, you're placing the gear yourself, doing the top crux, you're on this like, pretty thin placement and you kind of go above it a bit uh and i have taken some test falls on that piece and it does hold but at the same time it was just not the most confidence inspiring so that was definitely part of the mental game but then physically it was a lot harder because i mean one i had to stop mid crux to place like at on se- at several points along the route but then also i just kind of had to change my pacing overall because Clipping a bolt takes like a second, but placing a gear, you have to take it off your harness, you have to place it, you have to make sure it's good, you have to then clip it. So it just takes a lot longer and it just changed how I approached the climb where like doing it on bolts kind of felt like a sprint for me where I think I did the whole thing in like four or four and a half minutes, uh, bottom to top. And then on gear, it was maybe like seven minutes for that. So still not the longest, but I mean, it's substantially longer just like more time on that, on the wall, on those holds. Uh, So there was kind of that added endurance aspect as well. Yeah. So what's next? If that was supposed to be your project and you did it so fast. So I'm not fully sure right now. I haven't really formulated uh, any definitive plans for this summer. I have an Indian Creek trip coming up, which should be really fun. Uh, I'm going out there with Carlo Traversi and that'll be a good time during my spring break. And then this summer I do need to figure out what I'm doing. Definitely some sort of climbing. I think I do want to find kind of one of those like projects that really pushes me and like I just put a lot of time into. I think it'd be really cool to try a 515, you know, even though it is number chasing. Yeah. <laughs> because they just look so crazy. And so, I mean, just where I'm at right now, I like, can't really like visualize just like, doing that many hard moves and then having the endurance to do even more hard moves and just to do enough of that hard climbing to hit that 515 barrier just seems so crazy to me. And like, if I could get there, that would be so cool. And then also like finding more hard gear routes. There are plenty in California. There are also plenty all over the world. And just trying those would be really fun too. So right now I'm at that point where like everything looks so sick. I'm so psyched on everything, but I don't know where to start. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So many options. Choice paralysis. Exactly. Yeah. I'm interested generally in like a lot of the media around you has focused so much that on the fact that you're a crusher and that you're young. You're a young crusher. Like, wow, this is so cool. Look at him doing all these cool things before this age, right? Was that like really validating for you? Does it translate into being taken seriously? I I wouldn't say I'm with anyone. I think just in general, the climate community is very supportive. And I think at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of people challenging themselves on some cool pieces of rock. And like the biggest one for me was a lot of people thought that, I guess, climbing empath on gear was in some way like a dig at Carlo, which is just not true at all. It was just a challenge for me. And I think Carlo's a great guy. I'm 
I've climbed with him a lot and it's, he's super fun to climb with because just, he's just so strong and like so good. And just being able to watch him climb is just the coolest thing ever. And, you know, same thing goes for people like Alex, like especially like his head game. And it's just so cool to watch and learn from. And I mean, kind of go back to your question about, you know, how a lot of the stuff gets reported as like, oh, this is, you know, for my age, whatever. To me, you know, they can call it however they want, right? I don't think it matters. Like, I think my peers take me seriously and I think my peers in climbing take me seriously and whether anyone else does, doesn't really matter to some extent because at the end of the day, I can just go climbing and enjoy it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I just, everything that you're doing is impressive no matter what. (laughs) And then the additional element of being young and accomplishing that also is really cool. But I wonder if some, I was wondering if sometimes like it felt like, you weren't being taken seriously. So, but I love that answer because I think that's what the climbing community is all the time. So as long as you're feeling that, that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, at this point, I'm not that young anymore. I'm 19. <laughs> I'll be 20 this summer. And then, you know, I feel like that's less of a factor now, but especially like after the nose, everyone's like, I think it's just a lot of people like had a lot of questions or like, how did a freshman in high school, like, you know, did, did you play ski only? Were you just like, got it up, you know, like stuff like that. And it's a lot of that was just like curiosity Mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's not too late to grab your own tickets to the AAC's annual benefit gala. Join us for celebration and festivities. We're stoked to have former vice president Al Gore and the full circle Everest team as our keynote speakers alongside awards, an auction and camaraderie with pro climbers and Titans of the climbing community. Join us and support the club. Each ticket helps us achieve our policy goals, fighting for public lands and climbing access. Help us protect the heart of climbing and get a fancy meal out of it too. Find out more at the link in the show notes. So you also climb with your dad a lot. And so I'm interested in kind of navigating what what that might be like to navigate you know, your actual relationship with your dad, but then also having a climbing partnership with with him. And then you also said before this uh, interview that a lot of people focus on you climbing with your dad, but that you also climb with your mom a lot. So tell me about that. Yeah. So I actually climb with both my parents a lot. I mean, most of my bouldering or sport climbing trips, I go out with my mom and most of the like trappy, big wally stuff I do with my dad. And I mean, I think I'm just incredibly lucky that, you know, they're able to support me and to you know, take time out of their lives to go climbing with me, which is really cool. And it's nice because they're a part of the process the whole way. And they know, you know, how it is. And they know me really well. And they know the mental side better than many other, than almost anyone else, right? So it's it's really cool because they're, like when I climb with them, you know, they're like a climbing partner, they're a parent, they're a mentor. And I think that's a really cool relationship with both of them. Yeah, like the extra superpower of having your climbing partners like know your entire life history. <laughs> yeah. No, but that makes it like a lot more meaningful because and it's it's not just like a day out climbing, right? I mean it is, but it's also more than that because you're doing it, you know, a day out climbing with, you know, your family. And that's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I bet a lot of people would love to be able to do that more. And it's also, I mean, I also do this climb sometimes, go climbing like just with friends and or like by myself. And that's also fun too. 
just, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask like kind of who are besides your mom and your dad, who you obviously have accomplished a lot with in terms of climbing. Um, who else have you like learned a lot from in terms of climbing specifically? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I feel like just the people I regularly train with in the gym, because a lot of the a lot of the people who climb in the strong gym kind of have different upbringings for myself, where they spent a lot more time, you know, gym climbing and doing that type of movement. I learned so much from that. And then at the same time, I guess just whenever I go to a crag and just like there's someone there who's like a lot stronger than me, and I just get to like watch them and watch what they do. I feel like that just helps so much and it's like really cool to watch and i mean even this past fall i was um working on this project in tuolumne with uh, carlo traversi and just like watching him on it and like how he did the moves it was really cool because you know he found some like really cool beta and but then also like i would get up there and try it and i'd be like how did you do this <laughs> and then at one point i remember there's a whole he was like he could just like dangle on with like one hand and he's like oh yeah i could probably do a one-on from here and i was like fully cruxing out on that hold <laughs> which is uh it was cool it was really it was really fun yeah yeah i bet that sounds amazing to just be around people who are so strong learn so much yeah and it's like not just not just strong but like really good too yeah i guess i think you know this is not a training podcast this is not mm-hmm. like about the mental side of climbing but i think generally people are really interested you know, we were talking about how you set goals earlier. Also in kind of maybe, do you have like a process for, you know, when you're projecting something or you're working on something, you're, is there a difference in the way you think or tactics between like just figuring out whether you physically can do it and then how you get yourself into performance mode? Because those feel very distinct. Yes. It's an interesting question. I feel like I don't think of it. I think I haven't thought about that that much. I think at least so far, for most of the climbs I try, my assumption is just, yes, I can do it. And, you know, as soon as I do all the moves on a climb, I'm like, oh, yes, of course I can do it. And, you know, even if there's like a move that I can't do, but it feels feasible, I'm like, okay, that's that's fine. Like, I feel like I've almost never gotten, gotten on a climb where like after the first go, no matter how poorly that first go goes, I think like, oh, there's no way I can do this, at least for routes and big walls. And I mean, I think... If it's like a, if it's hard and I can tell it's like, you know, going to be a long process for me, maybe I'll spend a little bit extra time trying to figure out like the subtleties and the exact beta that works. Because especially when you're in it, that pays off a lot where like, if you can find that beta that works for you, it can feel so much easier. So, and then like, I'll just kind of go for it. And like, sometimes I'll just kind of, you know, give a go and see what happens. Uh, I remember this past summer, there was a climb that, you know, I thought was going to be really hard for me. And you know, I did the moves and the moves felt, you know, fine. I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. And I was like, you know, I'll just give a go from the ground, like see where I'm at. Just kind of like, yeah, just to see where I'm at. And then I sent it back out. I was like, whoa, that was cool. But then on the flip side, sometimes you get one where you're like, where like, you know, I tell myself like, oh, I should have sent it earlier. Or I should have done it quicker. And then that can be more detrimental. And I think for me, one of the biggest challenges of projecting is letting go of those expectations where you know, every go you can do it, but you don't have to do it. Uh, and that's for sure one of the challenges. That's that's a challenge for me. Yeah. Yeah. The like the middle space that is really hard to accomplish. That's like believing you can do it, but also not getting so attached to the idea that you can do it, that you'll be disappointed in yourself if you don't do it that go. 
Yeah, and almost like like you have to you have to like want it. Like you can't just say like, oh, this climb's gonna be easy for me. It's fine. Uh, you know, like give the climb its respect. And at the same time, you know, I can do this. But also I don't have you know, I will try really hard to give it my best effort, and that's all I can do. So we were talking, you know, a lot about your what has been already celebrated about your climbing resume. But I'm interested, like, is there some kind of, like, unsung accomplishment of yours that you're particularly proud of, but nobody really knows about? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I guess uh, I had a trip to the Incredible Hulk this past summer. Well, actually, no, there's a trip. I had a trip to the Incredible Hulk. Uh, I think it was, like, three and a half years ago. This one, like, I, this is that, that was a trip I was really, really proud of where I on-sided, I think, Airstream, which is, like, a 10-pitch 13A or B then like Solar Flare and Blowhard, which were both like 12 plus. And then this past summer I went and onside at the Venturi Effect, which was like a classic 12 plus. And, you know, all, all four of those climbs were like pretty hard for me. And they were, you know, I definitely had to try really hard and I was proud of that. But besides that, I mean, I feel like a lot of times the climbs that like that like mean the most to me and I'm most proud of her, not necessarily the ones that get reported the most. I guess the nose was really meaningful to me, but I mean, one of the ones that actually was a lot to me was Pirate's Code, which uh, I just did a few months ago in Tuolumne, and that one, that one really meant a lot to me too. That was such a fun climb too. Yeah, tell me about it. What's it like? I don't really know about it. So it was this longstanding project that Mason Earl and Ben Ditto project, uh, bolted and started projecting, and it's on a daft dome in Tuolumne. Uh, just next to Crescent Arch. And it goes up this overhung face. And like the crux pitch is three pitches up. And it is like crazy movement where it's just so atypical of Tuolumne to have a climb that's so steep, burly, like powerful and like long. And the movement is so cool. And the finish is amazing. And, you know, it's definitely a, pretty hard project for me it took me a while to figure out because it was also like right when I was starting college and I think the week I or the weekend I did it was the weekend in between I want to say it was weeks three and four of the quarter and because we're on the quarter system like week four I had a midterm and just like being able to balance that out was that that was that was meaningful to me yeah so would you say that Yosemite has your heart in terms of climbing places or is there another place that like because you seems like you, I mean, you're there a lot because you live near there, but also like the way you light up when you talk about it, it seems yeah. like you're really psyched about it. Yeah, I am. I mean, it's hard to beat in terms of location, in terms of how beautiful it is, but then how good the climbing is too. And I feel like that's really cool. Yeah. And there's so much history there and everything. Yeah. Yeah. The history is amazing. I'm actually like reading this book right now, like Valley of Giants, the stories of when I've heard somebody climbing. Yeah. I, I'm like, only partially through it, but just like hearing everyone's story there and like how everyone just has that experience of being like blown away when they first see it. And then like everyone has like their own journey there. That's just so cool. Yeah. There's like so much history there. I love that book too. It's a really fun read. Glad you're reading it. Along the lines of climbs that like maybe aren't, don't get as celebrated, but that you feel like really proud of, I was wondering if any of the like 514s in that 50 514 list like meant something in particular to you. I mean, a lot of them did for different reasons. I mean, there were, ooh, that's a good question. 
Oh, there was one this past spring. So this was like after the 50 were done. There were like just some more I did this past spring. Uh, I would say both Life of Villains, which was this 14D that Joe Kinder put up. Uh, actually, I'll start with that. That one was a really, that one was a journey for me because I tried it the previous year for like, I think it was a, maybe a month or so of like projecting it on and off and it was because school was all on Zoom, so we were just in St. George, and I didn't do it, and I felt that. I think that was just really a mental challenge for me more than anything else. And it was also, the climb was like not really my style, and it was like really powerful, and I'm not a very powerful climber, and that was just a really long journey for me to kind of come back this year, and I only had a week off school, and I think it was my third session on the route. I was just, I just kind of did it, and it felt really satisfying to be able to kind of put to bed that mental challenge I'd been having on it the previous year. And that was, that one, yeah, it meant a lot to me. And it was, it definitely challenged me in ways that Yosemite climbs don't. Besides that, yeah, oh, oh the other one um, was Arsonist that I did this year. And that was another one that I, I kind of sent unexpectedly quickly. Uh, it's this link up at Joe House that I bolted this past spring. And so you kind of do the start of, this 14B. I think you do everything except the top red point crux. And then you branch out into this like boulder. It's like a two bolt boulder problem to get over to the other route. And that boulder problem is probably like the hardest moves on the route. I mean, it definitely is for me. And then you kind of get into this other 14B right as the hard climbing starts. And that one, I started trying it and it felt like really hard. I was even like speculating, like, could it be 515? I don't know. And then like I just had one go where it was the first time I got through that transition boulder and I just like was able to just keep going and finish up the top 14B, which I really wasn't expecting at all. And that uh, felt really nice. And that was also like, that felt good because I was able to kind of just execute whereas there were moves I knew. And even if I hadn't been up there on red point yet, it just felt nice to be able to go and like do it. Yeah, I feel like it's it's like almost the approximate feeling of onsighting like you know you could like you have a sense that you would be able to do the moves but put linking them all is like onsighting in a sense yeah yeah it's interesting because you know the moves you know what they feel like but you don't know how it feels when you're going to be like really pumped and a little bit panicked <laughs> because like i remember there was like a moment where i was like i was kind of in like the top crux of the upper 14b and i was like what, what am i doing <laughs> so that, that was cool and it was also, that's probably like physically one of the hardest sport climbs I've done just in terms of like how sustained and hard it is. That's awesome. Any others? I mean, there, there are a bunch of like smaller ones that weren't as physically difficult, but you know, really were really fun. Um, just like last summer, uh, I had a three day weekend up uh, in Tahoe. I was staying with some friends and we went out to this local crag and I bolted this climb, cleaned it, and then did it all in that one three-day weekend. And I think it's 14A, I think. And it's a really good climb. It's, I mean, it's Sierra Granite. You can't go wrong with that. And it just like, it was just a fun weekend. And there's just like so many little things like that where, you know, maybe they're not a sense that are particularly meaningful in terms of difficulty for me or even in terms of mental challenge or anything, but they're just really fun. Yeah, totally. Glad that you have a lot of those also to like rack up and look back on. So this is kind of making me think 
I'm so curious when I talk to like climbers who are like really at the elite level, like, have you had any epics recently or does it just go well all the time? Oh, it does not go well all the time. <laughs> I mean, even in terms of just like projecting routes, like, I mean, I, a little over a weekend ago, there was like a 14B at jailhouse that I like, I was like, didn't do because it's just like getting in my head and you, because I was like telling myself, like, oh, this thing should be easy for me. Like, why am I not doing it? It should feel so easy. And then you know, I was falling on it. And then I had the same thing happen last summer on a 14B up in Tahoe where I was like, it's like, oh, I should be doing this. Like, it was just like getting to my head so much. And in terms of long route epics, those happened too. This past spring, I did half them with my dad and uh, another one of my friends in the gym. And we we got like slowed down a lot. There was like the spot where the rock fall was, there was like a bolt missing. That is the bolt that you do like the new rope toss off of. So it was like so sketchy. And there was like a bunch, there were a bunch of bolts that were like missing hangers. And it just like took so long. And I think, I think it was like 23 hours car to car. And like we topped out at like midnight. And it was like the hike down the mist trail was just so long. (laughs) And and it was a fun day. It was definitely type two fun though, I will say. (laughs) So yeah, that, that, that stuff happens all the time. And I think that makes the experiences more meaningful. I think they're, you know, those epics, they're, you know, they're not fun at the time. At the time, you want nothing else than to be out of there. But then in hindsight, you know, you, I look at, I mean, I'm smiling right now just thinking of that day, even though it was an objectively miserable, at least second half of the day. Yeah, I'm sure that. There's plenty of other stories where that came from, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so as we're wrapping up, I was wondering also kind of notice that you don't have like the biggest social media presence. And so I was wondering, kind of, are you intentionally kind of trying to balance between being in the public eye because you're an elite athlete, but also like not being like super in the public eye or kind of where's perspective on like your fame, essentially? Especially because I don't really think of it as fame, but I think for me, like, social media is, like, really hard. It's, like, figuring out, like, what to say about climbs. And, I mean, it's it's hard to kind of reflect in that very public area. But I feel like my presence is more, like, at the crag. And, like, I mean, I think I was, I was actually talking about this with some of my sponsors. And they said, like, just, like, you know, when you're at the crag, like, if you're in the crag, like, at a public place and there are lots of people there just like be yourself i think that's it's it's way more fun than posting on social media for me <laughs> and it's also it's a lot more genuine too i mean i still obviously do you know post about some of my ascents some of the highlights but it is definitely not what i think about the most because i also don't want to get to that space where all i'm thinking about is what my instagram caption is going to be for that day so it's definitely a bit of a balance that, yeah, I'm not the most confident about, but it's a bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm figuring it out, evolving, mm-hmm. all good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, last question. Obviously, you're at, in college right now. You're focusing on being a student. Where, how are you, like, balancing climbing and being a student right now? I think... I was going into this year, I was assuming like, oh yeah, like I'll put climbing on hold during the quarter, but I don't really think that's the case. I mean, 
you know, giving these stories of, you know, this, like last weekend I was out climbing at jailhouse. I, same with the weekend before. So I still am getting out, which is nice during the weekdays. I'm climbing a bit less. I found that if I'm having climbing as that motivator is actually really effective and getting me to not procrastinate. <laughs> I would like finish all my schoolwork on time and do like a good job on it, but not spend like way too much time and not to pull like all nighters or anything. For me, like right now I've done, I mean, almost all of my homework for this week already. It's like one more assignment that I need to finish up and done for the week and it's only Tuesday. Yeah. Wow. But that's because, you know, I want time to go to the gym on weekdays and I don't have a car on campus. So then you know, I take the train up there to the gym, which, you know, it's a bit slower, but it still works. And that's, I think what matters is that I can make it work. Yeah. Do you know what you're majoring in yet? I am still undeclared right now. I'm thinking, like I took an intro to electrical engineering class last quarter and I'm taking another one this quarter. And like both of them have been like really, really interesting. And like, they just like clicked for me. So maybe that. That's cool. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Fun and not easy. <laughs> not easy. <laughs> but I mean, for some reason, I don't know. It just like makes sense to me. So yeah, everyone has that one subject. I remember one of my best friends, one of my best friends in high school was like insanely smart at physics. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Best of luck figuring that out and chasing that down. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I still have some time, fortunately. I think Stanford doesn't really make you declare until I think the end of sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you could snap your fingers and go on a climbing trip anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Ooh, that's a good question. Do we assume perfect weather? Perfect weather. <laughs> perfect weather. Ooh. I feel like it would be a road trip to like multiple destinations in like probably Europe. Like get to go to Seyus, Flatanger, but then also maybe some of the longer routes like on the Radicon. That would be fun. Or, I mean, if I got to snap my fingers and have perfect weather in Yosemite, that would be pretty great too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little wet right now. Yeah. Or like Baffin Island. Yeah. Wow. That's a cool answer. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Because I actually, um, I actually have never climbed outdoors outside of the US. Okay. So there's so many like international destinations that just look so fun. What Patagonia? What am I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, I'm sure someday those trips are going to come your way. <laughs> I, I hope so. That'd be pretty great. Awesome. Well, it was so great to talk to you, Connor. Um, congrats on the award. You definitely deserve it. And we're really psyched to see what, what crazy goals you come up with next. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. Today's show was hosted by me, Hannah Provo, and produced by Sierra McGivney and Shane Johnson. Make sure you're safe in the mountains, no matter your activity, with the AAC's rescue benefit and medical expense coverage. Join the club today to have the peace of mind you need each time you head out there, or learn more about your existing membership benefits so you know what to do in the case of an accident. Learn more at AmericanAlpineClub.org rescue.